Please turn in your, turn in your Bibles to John chapter 1. Thank you, Paul, for your introduction to my message tonight. I, I couldn't have said it better, so I'm glad he, he did my introduction for me. As we start in the Gospel of John tonight, I just want you to think about what, what, do, you ex- what do you think of when you think of a Gospel, one of the four Gospels? What are the elements that you expect in the Gospel? Obviously, the Gospels are about the life of Jesus, the things that he said, the things that he did. Um, Some of the Gospels have genealogies showing Jesus' um, connection as the rightful son of David, who is fit to sit on the throne of David. Um, You have different elements in the Gospels. But John has a unique beginning to his Gospel. He starts with in these first 18 verses with what is called the prologue. And really what it is, is it's, it's really a theological description of Jesus from a 30,000-foot view, away from everything. We haven't even started talking about his life and ministry. It's, it's outside of that. It's above that. And so the prologue starts in the beginning, before creation, all right? And it ends in verse 18 with, Jesus at the Father's side in heaven after his life on earth. So he's he's starting out with this, um, just telling us all kinds of wonderful things about Jesus, as we're going to see here in a minute. And and we haven't even started on his life. As soon as this section is done, we're going to start, okay, here's John the Baptist. He prepares the way for the Lord. Here's Jesus. Let's go. But I I want to... as we look at this tonight, I hope, I hope you'll see the significance of what John is telling us in this section. Now, John introduces Jesus to us with a title of the Word. And the Word is a unique title used by John here that really isn't used anywhere else in the New Testament, at least not exactly in this way. So, there might be a question, well, why would... Why would John call Jesus the Word? And, and I think D.A. Carson explains it well, so I'm just going to read a quotation from him. He says, God's Word in the Old Testament is his powerful self-expression in creation, revelation, and salvation. And the personification of that Word makes it suitable for John to apply it as a title to God's ultimate self-disclosure, the person of his son. Hebrews 1, 1 through 3 also talks about this a little bit, and I don't want you guys to turn there, but I'm just going to read these verses and listen how Jesus comes on the scene and is the fullest expression of God. Hebrews 1 says, Long ago God spoke to the fathers by the prophets at different times and in different ways. In these last days he has spoken to us by his son, whom he has appointed heir of all things and through whom he made the universe. He is the radiance of his glory, the exact expression of his nature, and he sustains all things by his powerful word. The word is God's ultimate self-disclosure in the person of his son. So let's begin by reading the first 18 verses of John chapter 1. In the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was God. He was with God in the beginning. 
All things were created through him, and apart from him, not one thing was created that has been created. Life was in him, and that life was the light of men. That light shines in the darkness, yet the darkness did not overcome it. There was a man named John who was sent from God. He came as a witness to testify about the light, so that all might believe through him. He was not the light, but he came to testify about the light. The true light who gives light to everyone was coming into the world. He was in the world, and the world was created through him, yet the world did not recognize him. He came to his own, and his own people did not receive him. But to all who did receive him, he gave them the right to be children of God, to those who believe in his name, who were born not of blood, or of the will of the flesh, or of the will of man, but of God. The word became flesh and took up residence among us. We observed his glory. The glory is the one and only from the Father, full of grace and truth. John testified concerning him and exclaimed, This was the one of whom I said, The one coming after me has surpassed me because he existed before me. Indeed, we have all received grace after grace from his fullness. For although the law was given through Moses, grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. No one has ever seen God, the one and only God, the one who is at the Father's side. He has revealed him. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word that you have revealed yourself to us. And thank you for this passage where you reveal your son to us, who he is, what he's done, his glory, his majesty. Father, I pray that you would teach us as we study your word tonight and go through this text. Help us all to learn from your word tonight. We thank you that your word is powerful and it changes our lives. So we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Verse 1 starts off with, in the beginning was the word. Very familiar verse, very familiar phrase. But obviously we're talking about a time that was in the beginning, which is the beginning of all things, the beginning of the universe. And we're finding out that at this time, there was the word. The word is eternal. The word was preexistent. But you probably are also thinking of another verse in the Bible that starts out, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. So you have here on these two, two sides, in the beginning was the word, okay? The word is here in the beginning. We know from Genesis 1.1, in the beginning, God, all right? So those two things, in the beginning, the word, John 1.1, 1, 1, God, Genesis 1.1. So, John's going to go on and tell us two amazing things that are true of this word, that by themselves are incredible. But if you put them together, they're just, they, we never would have imagined what John is going to say here. So first he says, the word was with God. Well, that makes sense. If the word is in the beginning and God is in the beginning, then very possibly the word was with God, Right? But then the other possibility is if the word is in the beginning, God is in the beginning, maybe the word 
is God. Well, John says that too. How can he do that? He says the word is with God and the word is God. It's incredible. So let's try to think through that a little bit. The word is with God means that the word is distinguishable from God the Father. It tells us that for one thing. So, so there is a distinction between the Word and God, God the Father. And yet, at the same time, the fact that the Word is with God is telling us that there's a close personal relationship between the Word and God. The Word is with God. So we, lo- we, we know that from that part of the passage. But then John is also telling us, well, the Word was God. How how can this be? Well, we know from all of scriptures that the God of the Bible is a Trinitarian God. And although there is one God, three persons, one God. And so God the Father can be with God the Son or the Word, and both can be God. One God, three persons. And when I was talking through this with my wife, she said, well, what about the Holy Spirit? Okay, we don't have the Holy Spirit right here, but we have it all over the rest of scriptures. But even just these two thoughts right here, putting these two together and yet distinct, is a hint at our Trinitarian God, that the Word is with God, the Word was God. And verse 2 is a restatement that he was with God in the beginning. Verse 3. All things were created through him, and apart from him, not one, thing that was, not one thing was created that has been created. Again, Genesis 1-1, we know that God created the heavens and the earth. We have a little bit of a description that the Spirit was hovering over waters at that time and maybe doing something in creation. And yet here in the New Testament, we find that God created the world through the Word, or through Jesus. And, and that actually is a very consistent message in the, in the New Testament. In fact, the, the text I read you in Hebrews 1, if you want to turn there now or you can just listen to Hebrews 1, 2, talks about in these last days he has spoken to us by a son whom he has appointed heir of all things and through whom he made the universe. Hebrews tells us that God made the universe through the son or Colossians, we could turn to Colossians 1, 16 and 17. Pastor Paul preached through this not too long ago. This incredible section, again, describing Christ. But Colossians, we find out in verse 16, 16, it says, Because by him everything was created in heaven and on earth, the visible and the invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authority, All things have been created through him and for him. He is before all things, and by him all things hold together. So just in these first three verses, we've already uncovered that the word is eternal. The word was with God in the beginning. The word is God. The word created all things that have been created. That's a lot in three verses. John is, John is just unloading on us as he's telling us about Jesus, who Jesus is, before we even get to life of Jesus. Verse 4, life was in him, 
And that life was the light of men. That light shines in the darkness, yet the darkness did not overcome it. It's, it's really interesting the way John describes Jesus with regard to life. All right? Now, in the context of creation here, um, it would make sense that if Jesus, everything was created through Jesus, then Jesus is the giver of life. Um, or even light into the darkness. You know, we know that in the creation, everything was dark. And God said, let there be light, and there was light, and the darkness did not overcome that light. So contextually here, this life and light could very well be talking about creation. However, if you look forward in John, almost all of the rest of John is talking about spiritual life and eternal life. And he's talking about light in the way that Pastor Jim was talking about light this morning, that light that came into the world so that we would follow the light and that we would become light bearers ourselves. So I'm not really sure what John intends there. It could go either way or it could be both. John seems to like to do that when he writes, where he, he writes just ambiguous enough that you're not exactly sure what he means, but option A is true and option B is true, and maybe it's both. But as we think about this life that is in him, I, I, I want to show you in John chapter 5 something that is unique about life and Jesus. John 5, 26, For just as the Father has life in himself, so also he has granted to the Son to have life in himself. This word is self-existent. Okay? We already know he's God, but, right, the Father is self-existent? Jesus is self-existent. Or, as far as the giver of life, we could look at John 3.36, that anyone who believes in the Son has everlasting life. Anyone who does not believe the Son will not have life, but the wrath of God remains on him. So if you have Jesus, you have life. If you don't have Jesus, you don't have life. You have wrath. So there are all kinds of connections in John between Jesus as the giver of life. Or, or when Lazarus died. And, and Jesus is, is telling Martha, well, I am the resurrection and the life. He that believes in me will never die. And, and so Jesus is life. John 14, 6, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. John, John is just full of these ideas of life and light. And as far as light... Jesus is the light bearer. And if you look at John 8, 12, Pastor Jim actually read this this morning. When Jesus spoke to them again, he said, I am the light of the world. Anyone who follows me will never walk in the darkness, but will have the light of life. So this light is shining in the darkness, and the darkness is unable to overcome the light. Whether we're talking about creation whether we're talking about redemption and what Jesus accomplished at the cross, the darkness was not able to overcome the light. So verses 1 through 5 describe for us the word. Verses 6 through 9 now transition to talking about John, the witness. John is, in, in the Gospel of John, he will call John the Baptist a witness many times. Um, and so I think that description is fitting here as we talk about John 
the witness. Look at verse 6. There was a man named John who was sent from God. So John didn't just show up. He didn't just happen. He was sent on a mission from God. And what was that mission? Verse 7, he came as a witness to testify about the light so that all might believe through him. He was not the light, but he came to testify about the light. So John is, co- is, is coming to prepare the way of the Lord so that all might believe in him. He's, he's getting things ready. But, but look at verse 9. The true light who gives light to everyone, was coming into the world. And, and this is really just amazing here because, you know, God had promised a Redeemer thousands of years ago, really. He had made promises to Adam and Eve, made promises to Abraham, made pray- promises really all throughout history there where he made promises to people of someone who's going to come and deliver, someone who's going to come and rescue. And now we're to the point in history where John is able to talk about this one who is coming into the world because guess what? It's now, it's here. John's arrival and John's ministry means that the time is now for Jesus to come. It's finally here. And so we have this amazing um, link historically that as John comes on the scene with his Ministry prophesied in Scripture in Isaiah that as John comes, Jesus is going to come after him. So it's time. Now, what do we do with this idea that this light is going to give light to everyone? And again, I'm going to quote Carson here. I don't. I don't think I can say it any better than him, and I think he explains it well. So I'm just going to read, and I hope hope you guys will will listen along. The light shines on every man. And divides the race. Those who hate the light respond as the world does. They flee lest their deeds should be exposed by the light. But some receive this revelation and thereby testify that their deeds have been done through God. In John's gospel, it is repeatedly the case that the light shines on all and forces a distinction. So verses 6 through 9, we have John's ministry. Verses 10 through 13, we get to the Word's reception. All right, we already know who the Word is. He's the Creator. He's eternal. He is God. He was with God in the beginning. He's coming into the world bringing light, and how was he received? Let's look at verse 10. He was in the world, and the world was created through him, Yet the world did not recognize him. There, there are two incredible thoughts in this verse that, again, are just almost unimaginable if we were to write the story. This one we just described in verses 1 through 5, the creator, he's coming into the world. Who would have thought of that? It's almost unimaginable, and yet that's exactly what happened. The one who created all is coming into the world. And yet, almost just as unimaginable is is the second point we get from this verse, and that the world did not recognize him. How could that be? The creator of all things came into the world that he made, 
his own creatures didn't recognize him. Now in John, you know, the use of the world is, is talking usually specifically about humanity and the affairs of men and how they are in rebellion against God, rebellion against their maker, their creator. And that certainly is true here, is, is as the world is in rebellion against God and as Jesus comes onto the scene, Jesus is God, he is the creator, they don't recognize him. They're in rebellion against him. Verse 11 He came to his own, and his own people did not receive him. Not only did God's, not only did the word's creation reject him, his own people, the sons of Abraham, his own people, the Jewish people, they did not receive him. It seems like a loss if you were to stop at verse 11. You know, what, what's the point? But there is a huge array of, of hope as we read on in verses 12 and 13. But to all who did receive him, there were some who did receive that light. There were some who did receive Jesus when he came. All throughout the Old Testament, no matter how bad things got, no matter how dark it was, there was always a remnant who believed. And even as Jesus came into the world and Jesus came on the scene, he was rejected by his own people. He was rejected by his creation. But some did receive him. He gave them the right to be children of God. Sons of Abraham or not, it does not matter. He gave them the right to be children of God. To those who believe in his name. Anyone who believes can become a child of God. That is, that is an amazing message right here in John chapter 1. Anyone who receives him, who believes in his name, has the right to become a child of God. And yet verse 13 continues on because John is always very careful to leave that, that salvation is a work of God. So he continues on and he says, Who were born, not of blood or of the will of the flesh, or of the will of man, but of God. These people who are born of God, who become children of God, that is the will of God. It's not because you're born of Abraham's blood. It's not because you're born and you're smart enough that you figured it out, or that you had a desire to want this. It's because it was God's will, born of God. And, and these two thoughts coming together, that salvation is an act of God, it's a work of God, it's the will of God, and the fact that anyone coming to God must receive Jesus and believe in his name, that is all throughout John. You can go to John chapter 3 where Jesus tells Nicodemus, you must be born again. And Nicodemus thinks he has to be born a second time from his mother's womb. And Jesus is like, that won't do you any good. What is born of the flesh is flesh. What's born of the Spirit is spirit. You must be born again. So if, if, if Nicodemus wants to be born again, he has to be born of the Spirit. Well, how do you do that? That's impossible, right? And yet when Jesus goes on to explain how these things can be to Nicodemus, he, 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 doesn't, he doesn't stay there. He goes to the other side and he says, you know what? You did not receive our words. You did not believe. 
So what Nicodemus needs to do is he needs to receive those words from Jesus. He needs to receive Jesus. He needs to believe on his name. That's what Nicodemus needs to do. And the Spirit gives life. How those things happen, what order they happen, I don't think John is trying to tell us here. He's just saying they both happen. Salvation is a work of God, and yet anyone who receives Jesus and believes in his name has a right to become a child of God. And so we can rejoice. Verses 14 through 18. We finally find out in these verses, I've been saying it all along, but we find out in these verses that the word is Jesus. And we also find out that the word reveals the Father. So John chapter 1, verse 14. The word became flesh and took up residence among us. This word became fully man, fully humanity, yet he was without sin. And I, I think we can't, we can't look at this point without turning over to Hebrews, because Hebrews explains this so well. If you go to Hebrews chapter 2, this idea that Jesus became flesh. Hebrews chapter 2, and we'll start at verse 14. Now, since the children have flesh and blood in common, he also shared in these. He, speaking of Jesus, also shared in these. So that through his death, he might destroy the one holding the power of death, that is the devil, and free those who were held in slavery all their lives by the fear of death. For it is clear that he does not reach out to help angels, but to help Abraham's offspring. Therefore, he had to be like his brothers in every way, so that he could become a merciful and faithful high priest in service to God to make propitiation for the sins of the people. Jesus came as a man, fully human, so that he could make propitiation for our sins, so that he could be our atonement. So from John 1, 1, talking about the word is God, to John 1, 14, the word is human. Amazing truths. Amazing truths. Fully God, fully man. Look, look what he did as he came. So he took up residence among us. He lived on this earth for 30-some years and walked with people on this earth. And John was one of them. And John is writing this. And look what John says. He says, We observed his glory. The glory is the one and only from the Father, full of grace and truth. The glory of Jesus. He shares the glory of the Father. Now, now try to wrap your arms around that because we know that God doesn't share his glory with anyone. But Jesus is God. God shares his glory with Jesus. Jesus came and John says, we observed his glory. The glory as the one and only from the Father. And I think this, this reference to seeing that glory would be reference to the transfiguration when Peter, James, and John were able to see the glory of the Son. It was revealed to them momentarily. 
And then look at this here, verse 14, the very end there, that Jesus is full of grace and truth. This, this is what's so great about Jesus coming, all right? Because he is full of grace and truth. Now, verse 15, we jump back to John a little bit, but he's making a really powerful statement about Jesus here. He says, John testified concerning him and exclaimed, this is the one of whom I said, the one coming after me has surpassed me because he existed before me. Now, in Jewish thought, the one who comes first has higher priority. It's never the one who comes later or the one who comes after. And yet John says, the one coming after me has surpassed me. And then he makes that great claim that he existed before me. You see, he existed in the beginning. He's eternal. Born as a human after John but existing before John. He was in the beginning with God. Verse 16. Indeed, we have all received grace after grace from his fullness. For although the law was given through Moses, grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. And I I think really the way this um, grace after grace thing in verse 16, the way this could be taken is, is, is... All right, so you have received grace, and now with Jesus, you've received grace, and it's a different grace. Or, you have received grace instead of grace. Now you're getting a different grace. Look how that's explained a little bit in verse 17. The law was given through Moses. That was grace. The law revealed to them Really, all these things about God that the children would have never known. They never would have known those things about God were it not for the law, even though they could never obey the law. And so there were provisions within a sacrificial system where their sins could be atoned with blood, according to God's prescription. That was grace. But look now, grace and truth come through Jesus Christ. This is a better grace Jesus is going to die once and for all and satisfy the the penalty for all of the sins of mankind in one shot. It's better grace. So I think that's what this is happening here with this verse 16, a grace, we have received grace after grace from his fullness. A a couple of of examples just to give you an idea of, of, of a grace in the Old Testament where there's a better grace in the New Testament, in Jesus. And there's one of those in John chapter 3, where it talks about Moses lifting up the serpent in the wilderness. Do you remember why that happened? It was because the Israelites were complaining, and God sent snakes, and anyone who was bitten by a snake died. So they cried out to the Lord, and Moses put a, a, a serpent on a pole. Anyone who looked at that snake on the pole would live. They would not die from their snake bite. That's grace, right? And yet, look what Jesus is doing in John 3. Well, Well, just as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, even so must the Son of Man be lifted up, so that whoever believes in him will never perish but have eternal life. This grace means if you get bit by the snake, you're not going to die. That's great. This grace is... Jesus was lifted up so that anyone who looks to him will have eternal life. That's much better grace. Or another example in John 8. um, Jesus says, I am the bread of life. 
See, Moses provided, Moses, really it was God, but Moses provided wilderness, <laughs> provided wilderness, provided manna in the wilderness for 40 years for all those Israelites. That is grace. They're in a land with no food, no water, no way to sustain themselves for 40 years, and yet God provides miraculously and amazingly and really quite incredibly. That's grace. And yet Jesus says, I'm the bread of life, and anyone who eats of me will never be hungry again. So this one, this one manna is good until your next meal. That is grace. Jesus, the bread of life, anyone who eats from him will never be hungry again. That's better grace. And I, I really think that's kind of the idea here as the law was given through Moses, grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. Look at verse 18. No one has ever seen God. Okay? Now, there is an exception, but we'll get to that in a minute. But he starts out, No one has ever seen God, the one and only God, the one who is at the Father's side. He has revealed him. Turn over to John chapter 6, verse 46. We find our exception. Not that anyone has seen the Father, except the one who is from God. He has seen the Father. So there's an exception to verse 18, that no one has seen the Father. The Son has seen the Father, and not only has he seen the Father, but he reveals the Father to us. He has revealed him. Look at John chapter 14. Verse 6, Jesus told him, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. If you know me, you will also know my Father. From now on, you do, you do know him and have seen him. Lord, said Philip, show us the Father, and that's enough for us. Jesus said to him, have I been among you all this time without your knowing me, Philip? The one who has seen me has seen the Father. How can you say, show us the Father? Don't you believe that I am in the Father, and the Father is in me? The words I speak to you, I do not speak on my own. The Father who lives in me does his works. Believe me that I am in the Father, and the Father is in me. Otherwise, believe because of the works themselves. So Jesus, the one from the Father's side, he has revealed the Father. And it's interesting as we end here in verse 18 that he is the one at the Father's side. It's an answer to a prayer he prayed in John chapter 17. John 17, 5. Now, Father, glorify me in your presence with that glory I had with you before the world existed. You see how many of those components that we've seen in John 1, 1 through 18? He's praying that the glory he once had and, and being with the Father, that he would have that again. Well, that's been answered in verse 18. But look at these descriptions. He was with the Father before the world existed. John 1.1. 1, 1. He wants to be glorified with the glory that he had with him when he was there. John saw a glimpse of that. He didn't see all of it for all time, but he got a little picture of it. 
Jesus shares the glory of the Father. Jesus is God, and Jesus is once again at the Father's side as we finish this section in verse 18. It's kind of a 30,000-foot view of who Jesus is before John starts into the life of Jesus, the life and ministry of Jesus. And the emphasis in this section is clearly on the, how God is revealed through Jesus. Jesus is the ultimate disclosure of God himself. Or as Colossians describes it, Jesus is the visible image of the invisible God. How are we to respond as we look at such a text as this? It's really a pretty simple response. As he came and was rejected by many, he was received by some. And so our response should be to receive Jesus, to believe in Jesus, and finally to follow Jesus. Look at John 8, verse 12. Pastor Jim read it this morning. Then Jesus spoke to them again, I am the light of the world. Anyone who follows me will never walk in the darkness, but will have the light of life. So that's what I would want to leave you with as we start out 2016. Receive Jesus, believe in Jesus, follow Jesus. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word. If we did not have your word, we would know so little about you. And as we see in this passage, we can be thankful for Jesus coming to earth to further reveal you to us. And Father, we thank you for the salvation that is available in Christ Jesus as he came and brought life and light to all who will believe. Father, would you help us this year to receive Jesus, to believe in Jesus, and to follow Jesus as you demand